0: You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit HarvestYorkRegion.ca. Well, good morning, Harvest. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. Hebrews chapter 10 as we uh, continue in our series, Once for All. Uh, You ever notice that you come to a certain point In probably around the end of February, early part of March, when you go outside and on a day, the sun starts to feel warm again. You actually start to believe that spring is going to come. The snow will melt. There will be flowers in the garden again, we will be cutting the grass. And it just seems at some point along the way on a day, you just feel the warmth of the sun. Well, the reality for us spiritually is even greater when you think about um, coming out of the shadow and into the sun, Jesus Christ. And all that he offers and all that he has accomplished. And in our series, Once for All, our our message today, Out of the Shadow into the sun. obviously a play on words, but coming out of the shadow of what the law could not do. The law in all of its attempt could not accomplish what the Lord Jesus Christ would do. And how we come out of the shadow and into the amazing Son, Jesus Christ, and what he's done for us. And so last week was the bad news. Um, this week we uh, get the good news, and uh, we find it in Hebrews chapter 10, verses uh, 4 to 7. I'm gonna read a few verses around that. So let's stand as we honor God, as we read his word. Hebrews chapter 10, I'm gonna start at verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats Father, we thank you for this amazing privilege that we have today to stand and uh, hold your very word in our hands and consider what Jesus Christ was saying and what was being communicated to these people as they were uh, seeking to understand the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, that he fulfilled all that the law could not fulfill. He did what man could not do. We come out of the shadow and into the sun. I pray, God, that you would give us ears to carefully listen to your word today. Minds, God, that we might contemplate it, understand it, and then hearts, God, that we would live out the fullness of who we are in Jesus Christ for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you can take your seats. Well, as I said, last week was the bad news. This week we get some good news, but let's just review uh, quickly what we learned um, in verses three and four. Uh, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Uh, last week, as we were studying the first part of this text, we, we learned that uh, we were in an impossible position um, The sacrifices that were to be offered all throughout the Old Testament, they were insufficient, they were incomplete. And as we see in verse 4, it was impossible. What the blood of bulls and goats would do was impossible to do what was required. The the blood of bulls and goats could cover our sin, but they could never take away our sin. Uh, The word atonement, which was uh, one of the great sacrifices, it literally meant to cover but animals could never take away our sin. The animal symbolized a payment for sin. They could cover sin, but they couldn't take it away. The animal wasn't of the same nature we learned last week. It's just an animal, it was just a bull or a goat or a sheep. It wasn't, it wasn't of the same value that we have, and therefore it could not pay the price wasn't of the same nature. It didn't have the same value. And the animal that was sacrificed never gave consent that I want to lay down my life as the payment. The poor bull or the goat or the sheep was just walking around the pasture one day and just happened to be the nicest one of all because you had to give the best. And then the farmer comes out and puts a rope around its neck and takes it and all of a sudden it finds itself coming up to the sacrifice and its throat is slit and its blood is poured out and it's dead. But it's like, hey, I never signed up for this. There was no consent. And all that the blood of an animal could do was as a picture. And it could cover the sin, but it could never take it away. Only Jesus Christ could be the perfect sacrifice. He was the one who was the new covenant to take away our Sins. We learned last week that um, the blood was a reminder of their sin. They would go every time and they would sacrifice the animal and the blood would be spilt. And here's what they knew for sure. They knew for sure, we're coming back to do this again. We're coming back to do this again. Because the blood of an animal could cover their sin, but it couldn't take away their sin. And, And so they'd have to offer again and they'd have to offer again and they'd have to offer it again because... The blood couldn't take it away. And so every time, every time they saw the blood, every time they did the sacrifice, they were reminded of their sin. Hey, this coming Friday, on Good Friday, we're gonna have communion. We're gonna remember in communion, the message is really the message of this whole theme of once for all. And we're gonna look at what Jesus Christ did once for all. And at the end of the service, we're going to have communion and and there'll be the little cracker in the cup like we always do. And, and there'll be the grape juice that we have. And, and we're going to remember. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. But here's the difference. Here's the difference now for us in Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen on Easter every year. We just are reminded of it. We focus on it every year at Easter. But um, It's a reminder that what Jesus did, he did once for all. In the Old Testament, they were looking back and they were thinking and they were reminded of their sin. When we take communion, when we have the the little cracker and we have the grape juice and we remember what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us, we're not remembering our sin. We're remembering that the finished work of Jesus Christ delivered us from our sin. We don't live under this, oh, no, we got to do this again. Oh, no, we got to do this again. We're reminded in communion that it was done and it's finished and we never do it again. A young man came up to me last week and uh, talked about, he's, there's something in the message that he was really blessed by. And, uh, and I said, well, so what was it? And he said, um, I'd always been told that whenever I sinned, I'm putting Jesus back on the cross. Whenever I'm sinned, I'm putting Jesus back on the cross. That's terrible theology. Don't ever say that to anyone. That does not happen. Jesus Christ died once for all. That's why we have a cross with no Jesus on it, because it's done. It's finished. It's not a sacrifice over and over again. It's not a reminder of our sin. The cross is a reminder for us of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us. But last week in the bad news, we were looking and seeing that the law, although it was there and it was important because the law demonstrated it, it exposed our heart, Um, the law was important for us to see our sinfulness, for us to understand there had to be a price to pay. The the law helped us to see that God was serious about our sin, but we're defeated under the law because the law can't make the path to God right. It covers, but it doesn't take away. Only Jesus Christ can do that. But most of us didn't grow up in a a series where we were thinking about doing sacrifices. That's just not the way we were brought up. We were brought up more in this path. It's like, yeah, we're just good enough people. We just do a lot of good things and we'll have enough good before God. And hey, it ends up in exactly the same place. It's not enough. It cannot satisfy what God requires as regards to our sin and the payment for our sin. So last week, the bad news was our impossible position. We're separated from God. And until the finished work of Jesus Christ comes, we don't have any hope. But here's the good news. It's God's perfect solution. God's perfect solution is found in verses 5 and 6. Consequently, so as a consequence of all of this, as a result of the fact that the law can't do it, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, But a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. There are four kinds of offerings that are talked about in that text. It says sacrifices, offerings, burnt offerings, and sin offerings, virtually describing all the different types of sacrifices that could be described by the law. Here's what we need to understand. Christ came to set aside once for all the sacrificial system. That's what he was coming to do. We're putting it away. It is done. It is finished in Jesus Christ. The quote in Hebrews chapter 10 actually comes from Psalm 40. If you got your Bibles, you could uh, flip back to Psalm 40 and and see where it said there. David is uh, writing here, and in Psalm 40, verses 6 to 8, it says, "'In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, "'but you have given me an open ear. "'Burn offerings and sin offerings you have not required. "'And then I said, Behold, I have come. "'In the scroll of the book it is written of me. "'I delight to do your will, O my God.'" Your law is within my heart. And so David was writing that with the understanding that he had about what God wanted and sacrifices and all the rest. And then the call to do the will of God. It was true for him. David had no idea that what he was writing was really about the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Christ was going to come to do and what Christ was about to offer in Psalm 24, 1 to 6, it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Here's the answer. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Who shall ascend? Who shall come to the holy place? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. And the law and all that it could do and the law that all that it did, it couldn't accomplish completely what was required. Ultimately, the Lord Jesus Christ was the only one who ever got to that place of clean hands and a, and a pure heart. David knew that he hadn't done it. You remember after he had sinned with Bathsheba and, and she gets pregnant and she, he puts he a whole deal together for her husband Uriah to be killed in a battle. And uh, then David goes and he meets with the prophet Nathan who tells him the story about the rich farmer and the poor farmer and the rich farmer taking the best animal from the poor farmer and they're gonna have a barbecue. And David's getting all indignant about how on writing that, he's like, that man man should be put to death for what he did. And Nathan, Nathan points his bony finger at David and he said, you're the man, you're the man. That's what you did. That's what you did with Bathsheba. That's what you did to Uriah. You're the man. David understands he doesn't have a clean heart. He understands he doesn't have a, um, a pure hands. and He understands that he's failed miserably. In Psalm 51 verses 16 and 17, his cry is this. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. And so as we come to Hebrews chapter 10, and we see these words, sacrifices and offerings, you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. That God's perfect solution would come in Jesus Christ because the sacrifices and the offerings were not going to be able to meet the requirement that God had set up. They were a picture. They could cover the sin, but they could not take away the sin. First Samuel 16, 7 says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. Because I've rejected him. Whole different story, but here's what it says. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. All over the Old Testament, all over the Old Testament, the prophets were laying it out for the people and they're saying, some of you even do the right things. You do the sacrifices, but your heart is wrong. You do the right things, but you do them for the wrong reasons. You're going through the motions, but you're not really sold out. You've not given me your heart. That can be true of us. That can be true of us. We've received the gift of eternal life, and we find ourselves going through the motions. And God's like, "I want your heart. I want your heart." Yeah, it's okay you go to church, and that's the right thing to do, and it's okay that you maybe help some needy people, and it's the right thing to do. but God's like, "I want your heart." That's what He wanted in the Old Testament from the people. He just wanted their hearts. And so when he says that he didn't want sacrifice, it's not literally that he didn't want their sacrifice. It's that he wanted more. He wanted what went with it. He want What went behind it? He wanted their heart. What pleased God could only come from a right heart. And we fail at that so miserably. And so what God wanted in the... In the, the um, gift of salvation and what God wanted in the payment that would be made was a pure heart. And that could only come through Jesus Christ. The Lord said, but a body you have prepared for me. The sacrifices could not do the job. Jesus came to do what the law could not do. In John chapter one, the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, it says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Hebrews 10, it was all about the the blood of bulls and goats could not take away the sin of the world. But the blood of Jesus Christ, it not only covers our sin, but it takes away our sin. It accomplished what the law could not accomplish, the work of Jesus Christ accomplishes what you can't accomplish in what you think you bring to the table before God. Your good works, your good efforts, your deeds, even your thoughts are they're not enough to satisfy what God required. It could only be satisfied through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so, even before Christ went to the cross, the writer of John saw it. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world <clears throat> that's my sin that's your sin so it's the sin of the world but it's very personal as well i love the reality that what jesus christ accomplished for me took away my sin I don't have to remember it over and over again. I don't have to live it. I don't have to go back and do another sacrifice. What Jesus Christ did, he did once for all. He covered my sin and he took away my sin. My past sin, the sin of today, and the sin of the future. It's all covered because of Jesus Christ. He's not getting back on the cross to pay for my sin. He did it once for all. That's an amazing hope that's an amazing truth we have as followers of Jesus Christ. And the question is, has he taken away your sin? Has he taken away your sin? It doesn't happen just because Jesus died on the cross. We have a responsibility. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I say it every week. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift from God. It's not from work so that no one can boast. And we've got to come to the place where we put our faith and trust in the work that Jesus Christ did for us. I could not solve the problem between God and me. Only Jesus Christ could. And he did on the cross because he was the right and righteous payment. And I just have to come to the understanding, I am messed up. I am a sinner And I surely can't fix it because God's standard is no sin. I checked. I failed. I didn't check, but you failed too. That's hopeless. Except believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then you'll be saved. My standing before God is not based on my performance. Thank you, Lord. My standing before God is based on what Jesus Christ did for me. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, it's as simple as believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You understand you're a sinner separated from God. Nothing you can do about it. You can't fix it. And so you surrender yourself. That's what makes salvation so difficult. It's so simple. And yet I have to give up everything. Everything. I have to say, I get it. My pride has to be set aside. My arrogance has to be set aside. What I think I am has to be set aside. That's why so many people trip over the gospel of Jesus Christ because they think they have to do something. He's like, no, no, it's a gift. He did it all for us. We don't do anything except believe. Receive the gift and you'll be saved once for all. Out of the shadow and into the sun reveals our impossible position, but it also demonstrates God's perfect solution, Jesus Christ the Lord. And here's the third thing, Christ's passionate obedience. Christ's passionate obedience. I look back over in Hebrews chapter 10 and uh, and see there uh, verse 7. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. God willed not for sacrifices under the law, but he willed that a human victim of infinite merit should be offered for the redemption of mankind. That was God's plan. That was God's plan from before time began. That was God's plan in Genesis 3, as we saw last weekend. That was God's plan being revealed through the law. That was God's plan being demonstrated all the way out. And then he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came to do one thing, to do the will of God. In that body that he came in, he did the will of God to suffer and die for the sin of the world. In Luke 22 and verse 42, it's the night before Christ is crucified. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. He's taken James and John and Peter a little ways in. He leaves them. He goes on further and he realizes what's about to come. The reality of it all is there. The pain, the suffering, the anguish, the deceit that's going to happen, all of it. And he asks God, could this cup pass from me? And then he says, nevertheless, amazing words. Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus Christ came to do one thing. He came to fulfill the will of God, to fulfill the purposes of God so that you and I could have eternal life. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I've come to do your will, O God. Jesus' submission to God's plan ultimately fulfilled in his obedience on the cross. That's what Christ came to do. That's what Christ was passionate about. He came to do the will of God. I'm going to ask you to turn one more place. Keep your finger in Hebrews 10 and flip back to the gospel of John, the gospel of John. And in John chapter four, uh, John chapter four and verse 34, it says this. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And what's the context? Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone uh, brought him something to eat? They didn't get it. And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The thing that sustains me, Jesus saying, the thing that fills my sail, the thing that gets me going forward, the thing that's all the reason that I am here. My very food, my very motivation is to do the will of him who sent me. I told the folks last night, you need to take that verse and write it on a cue card and stick it somewhere in your house where you'll see it every day put it on a washer mirror, put it on the fridge door. I'd see it many times if I put it on the fridge door. Put it on, wherever you put it, but put it somewhere where you'll see it. And then think about that verse in the context of your own life. My wife just takes all this stuff serious enough that she actually went home and took a card and wrote it down and, Good for you. It's on the inside of one of the doors in our kitchen. And every time I go to get a glass out of the cupboard, I'm gonna open it up and it's gonna be there as a reminder. This is a great verse for us to think about about our passion and our commitment to do the thing that Jesus came to do. Jesus said, my food, the thing that I get out of bed in the morning for is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. God help us that that would be our passion. You could say that. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish the work that he has for me. Jesus talks a lot about doing the will of God or being obedient to what God had for him. In uh, John 5, across the page in my Bible, it says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Another great verse to put up on a wall in your house. Uh, John 6, uh, verse 38 For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 8 and verse 28. So Jesus said to them, when you've lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. Christ's passionate obedience was to do the will of God. That will was um, known to him before the foundation of of the world. In 1 Peter 1, 19 and 20, it says, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last days for the sake of you. All of it made manifest in the last days for the sake of you, for the sake of me. That's why Christ came, to fulfill the will of God for you and for me. I came to do your will. He came to do the will of God. He came to uh, be perfect in obedience to what the law required to fulfill everything that it said. But then he superseded it in who he was and what he did. He came to make an atonement for sin by becoming obedient to death, even the death on the cross, Philippians 2, eight, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? Because Jesus was passionate to do the will of God. And the will of God that Jesus was passionate to do was to come, to be the example, to live the perfect life. Ultimately, it was to die And then to rise again. So that the gulf that man created, the gulf that happened in Adam and Eve, the gulf that we have have sustained all the way along by our own sinfulness might be taken care of. It might be met. It might be accomplished. We might have the victory because Jesus Christ came to do the will of God. Sue and I were reading a devotional the other day, and I kind of gave five Ps about... um, when you're going after something, when you want to be obedient about something. And um, we're going to come back to these as we think about them for ourselves, because they, they apply in a little bit different way to Jesus Christ. But when you think about going after the will of God, when you think about Jesus Christ, they're there as well. Yeah, Jesus Christ had the right priorities. Jesus Christ had the right priorities. The priority was to do the will of God. See, where I get messed up in my life so often is I get my priorities all messed up. And I think it's about my job or I think it's about my family, or I think it's about whatever it is, and that's not the first thing. When we get the first thing wrong, then we ultimately end up getting it all wrong. It's not that those things aren't important. They're critical things, and they're even biblical things, but they're not the first thing, and Jesus Christ had the first thing right, and that is, I'm going to do the will of God. He was passionate about it. He was passionate about you. He was passionate about coming and paying a price so that you could have and I could have eternal life. Set aside all of the other things, all the other pastimes, that was the other P. Set aside all those other pastimes and things that get in the way of what would keep him from doing what he was called to do. The practices of his life were focused to do the will of God. He set aside the pleasures of this world so that he could do the will of God. In Colossians 1.22, a powerful verse for us to consider, he says, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to, you ready? Present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Why did he do it? Why did he do the will of God? Well, he died in his body and his death in order to present you holy that's why he did it so you could be presented before god almighty as holy it means set apart it means sanctified you were washed in his blood so that you could be made white as snow Your sin was covered and taken away in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And you are made carte blanche. The page is clear. It is white. It was an act that happened for you. And that's what Jesus Christ did for us. Like, that's the great news, folks. It's hard because we hear it all in the context of Jesus' suffering and his death and all the rest. Jesus willingly came, did the will of God so you could have eternal life. That is awesome what God did. We live in the son. We live in the understanding of who Christ is and what he did for us. Paul said, um, be followers of me even as I am of Christ. I love that verse and I hate that verse at the same time. It's, It's an amazing thing to say. Jason, be a follower of me, just like I am of Christ. Ah, oh, I know my heart. Paul, be a follower of me, just as I am of Christ. And Jesus Christ came to do the will of God. I think Paul's saying the same thing. We know that he wasn't perfect. We know that he messed up. We knew that he, he wasn't some kind of an angel walking around. He was a regular guy, put his shoes on one at a time. He struggled and he heard. And he, but his passion was to be like Jesus Christ. That's what he was passionate about. His passion was to be like Jesus. Well, what was Jesus like? Jesus was like, I'm here to do the will of God. I am here to do what God has called me to do. And Paul's saying, that's what I'm here for. Hey, people, church. Pastor, is that what you're here for? Are we here to do the will of God? Paul wrote in Thessalonians, this is the will of God. Even your sanctification, your being set apart, your holiness, that's the will of God. And as we come to Easter, in the sadness of Good Friday, and then in the woo of the weekend, because that's what it's going to be, Saturday is somber. Wear your black suit, wear a black tie, wear a black shirt, wear black. It's a sad, sad, pathetic day that Jesus Christ died for our sin. But Sunday's coming, the weekend is coming. And Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and we have eternal life because Christ died for us, the right and righteous payment, but he also rose again. That's the certificate. That's the receipt that he was who he said he was, that he could accomplish what he said he would do and that he did it for us. When you take a hold of that, then this is my passion. This needs to be our passion that we do the will of God. Oh, what does it look like? I just happen to have five Ps. The same five we talked about about Jesus. We live in a world where our sins separated us and we were in an impossible position. We live in the reality that God sent the perfect solution and that Jesus Christ came to do the will of God. And the calling on our lives is to do the same in our obedience, in our surrender, in our submission. As you've heard the word today, what is it? As you've been listening and hearing and you're like, I need to do that. I know God's called me to do that. His word made it clear I need to do that. I haven't been faithful in my obedience in some area. I haven't been reading the word of God like I should. Isn't it interesting that, that Jesus knew what he was supposed to do and how that would come out? Because it says, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. He knew what is being fulfilled because of the word. Now we know what to do because of the word. Has God laid something on your heart this morning? And you're sitting here and you're like, hmm, I know, I know. It's awesome what God did. It's amazing what the Lord Jesus Christ did. But, 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 get your big butt out of it and be faithful to what God's called you to do in obedience to do his will. Do his will by getting your priorities right. What's going on this afternoon in your life and what should the priorities be? With your passions, right? What are you passionate about as a follower of Jesus Christ? I made the mistake last night in the message of poking at the Toronto Maple Leafs. I, um, you know, I've done that before. But um, the reality was, I said, I was talking to a man who said, that I was talking to a man in our church who's a Leaf fan, and he said, I've given up on the Leafs. I've given up on the Leafs. There's no hope. It's all over. Blah blah blah. Right. And if those dogs didn't go out and win last night, right? I saw him this morning. He's back on the Leaf bandwagon again. Everything's good as new. He's ready to go again for another, I don't know, 1967 to now. A long time for the Leafs. He's a passionate Leaf fan. Nothing wrong with being a passionate Leaf fan. But how passionate are you about Jesus? If you can get excited about the Toronto Maple Leafs winning a game in overtime... Can you get excited about what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you in your salvation? For those of you who aren't sports fans, you're not off the hook. You're passionate about your own stuff, basket weaving, sewing, quilting. I don't know what your thing is, but whatever it is, you get so passionate about those things and Jesus kind of gets left out on the side. Then I said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God. Those were the words referring to Jesus, but David was saying those same words. He messed it up, but I've come to do your will, O God. I'm going to get back on the horse, as it were. I'm going to do your will, O God. I'm going to have right priorities. I'm going to have right passions. My pastimes are going to get set in order. I'm going to be careful where I put my emphasis and where I put my time. Hey, Paul was a sports fan. We know he was. He he knew about running and races. He knew about wrestling. He knew about boxing. He knew what was going on. He was reading the box scores. He knew it. He went to the events, obviously, because he knew about all the stuff. But it wasn't what ruled his life. Help us, God, every day that what rules our lives a little bit more every day is to do your will, oh God. His pleasures, my pleasures, as a follower of Jesus Christ, need to come under submission to what God's called me to do. You see, we've come out of the shadow. The law couldn't do what needed to be done. I couldn't accomplish through my good works what needed to be done. But we come into the son who accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished. And he did it to do the will of God. Be followers of me even as I am of Christ, Paul the apostle said. I'm desiring to do God's will like I learned it from Jesus. That's my passion. It's my heart. I'm learning. I'm growing. I fail. I get up and I move on. But that's my heart. Is that your heart? Jesus Christ, what he accomplished? He accomplished once for all so that we could have life eternal and live out of the abundance of that for God's glory to do his will. God helping us, we will be people of God who do that same thing. For the fame of the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, this is your word, and we thank you for it. We thank you for the blessing of it, the challenge of it. Lord, last week it was hopeless because the law couldn't do what needed to be done. This week we realize and understand the deliverance of what we have in Jesus Christ. And this Friday and next weekend, we're going to see how you did it in your son, Jesus Christ, for us. And we rejoice in that reality. What the law couldn't do, Jesus Christ did do. My sin separated me, I couldn't fix it. And the Lord Jesus Christ did. His blood washed me white as snow. God, would you do a work in us that we be people of God who are so overwhelmed by what Jesus Christ did that we would be sold out to do your will, God, because all that you've accomplished for us and we'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name, Amen.